Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm your host, Stephanie, and today I am joined by author Clay McLeod Chapman to talk about his latest book, Ghost Eaters, and horror books that talk about grief. So Clay, welcome to the show. Hey, hello, everybody. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, did I say your name right? Clay McLeod Chapman? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Clay McLeod. Clay, I, you know, like, honestly, like, at this point, like, I've embraced <laughs> pronunciation. It just doesn't matter. You know, it's a <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's bound to be within the ballpark, right? I feel that I grew up with an unpronounceable name and then married into another unpronounceable name. So and it's my just life. Just when you thought you were getting out, they, they pull you back in. It's true. I remember thinking, like, there's one thing I'm going to do. I'm just going to marry into a family with just a simple, phonetically pronounceable last name. That's the one thing I care about. <laughs> Hello, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Before I say yes to your son's hand in marriage, uh, let me ask. That <laughs> <laughs> it is Smith. It's not Smythe, right? No. <laughs> Is it Smithy or Smithy Al? <laughs> no, I... Yeah. Very happy to have you on, though. Um, so to our listeners that are not aware, can you tell us a little bit about Ghost Eaters? Oh, man, here it comes. Uh, yeah. OK, so Ghost Eaters is it's a it's a book about a haunted drug. So pop a pill see the dead uh this drug called ghost uh allows you to see what is kind of lingering on the other side um but as our heroes and protagonists find out uh you know once you start seeing the dead the dead can see you and they might not be too happy about um the uh <laughs> the the attention um but uh, yeah, once that door opens, you know, there's there's just no closing it, um, and spooky, spooky things ensue. I really liked it, and I liked that when we were talking about this, there was kind of a few directions we could go, just because I feel like there's so much that the book covers. Like we talked about doing grief, which is like what we decided on, but we also, you know, could have talked about addiction or ghosts. Like there's just a lot going on here. Yeah, maybe maybe a little too much. I don't know. I mean, I didn't mean it to sound like that. <laughs> no, I well, I'm saying I. I mean, I feel like, you know, the, I I feel like the most exciting novels. I'm going to make a blanket statement, and I'm going to regret it. I think you you we when you have these books, and there are a lot of ideas in it, and you feel like that like the author is you know exploring ideas <laughs> and maybe some of the ideas kind of like drift off into the wayside and some of them kind of like root themselves into the narrative this this book feels like it it, it wanted to like tackle a lot of stuff um and and i don't know maybe maybe i thread the needle on a few of them all of them some of them none of them but uh <laughs> yeah drugs ghosts gothic southern gothic isms and uh grief yeah, I really liked that. And I liked, yeah, that it's set in Virginia and that's such a big part of it. You know, when she takes the drug and starts seeing the dead everywhere, it's like, oh, there's a lot of history in Virginia. There's a lot of death, a lot of stuff going on that 
you have to contend with. Why would you ever take a drug that allows you to see ghosts in probably the most haunted neck of one of the most haunted necks of our, our country? Um, it's a it's a dubious distinction. But uh, yeah, Virginia is it's a haunted neck of the woods, man. <laughs> And we talked a bit on Twitter, you mentioned, because there's a scene, well, there's a few, there's a few ectoplasm scenes, but there was one ectoplasm scene, maybe it's the first one, because it caught me so off guard, and I was like, that's so gross, I have to reread this book, this chapter again, because I just want to really revel in how gross it is, <laughs> and really thinking that the other big property that has ectoplasm is the the haunting in Connecticut and you said you talked to was it the person that wrote it or directed it no the the director yeah um I mean I I feel like if you're gonna do like if you're gonna talk about like like just hands down like best ectoplasmic movie scenes like scenes in movies I think haunting in Connecticut has to be up there like it's pretty it's pretty astounding and you know, I, I don't know. I've, I've had a few kind of passings, like comings and goings with Hollywood. And uh, I was fortunate enough to meet the director uh, who, oh gosh, his name is Peter Cromwell. Am I getting that right? Um, I'm going to regret it if I get it wrong, but, but Peter, Peter Cornwell, Peter Cornwell. Um, he, yeah, we, we took a meeting, like one of those general meetings you kind of do in the Hollywood way. And I mean, it was so hard not to just like grill him about that ectoplasm scene that I mean, it was just I mean, it is amazing. Like, oh, I haven't seen it in a while. Like, I wonder if it it holds up. But because I was like early ish CGI. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's mid 2000s, I want to say. Yeah. I mean, it left its mark on me. So maybe I shouldn't watch it again. But I, I do distinctly remember that being like, wow. I mean, it's on the poster for Pete's sake. Like, it's there. Like, that's the, yeah. that's like why you go to Connecticut. For a chance to experience ectoplasm. I hope I'm not, I hope I'm not the one experiencing it. I think I would be okay watching it happen to someone else. I mean, that, that stuff looked painful. Like, that, that to me, like, like, it looked like it was just not going to be a fun, fun time of chucking ectoplasm. No, it's not like you can stop midway because you don't like it. You're in, you're in. Like, <laughs> this is happening. Yeah, yeah the, the ectoplasm train has left the station, folks. Here. <laughs> it is pulling in whether you want to. Oh, God, where where am I going with this? You pull it like it is pulling out of the station. Oh, yeah, it's pulling out of the station. So hop on board. Choo choo. <laughs> <laughs> I also really liked the idea that um, maybe this is what modern spiritualism would look like. Because when they, you know, go to the house and kind of do the drugs for the first time, it is kind of like everyone around the table and like someone's kind of like leading everything. And it is like, you know, back in the day, like in Haunting in Connecticut, they're looking back at that time, you know, where people were desperate to commune with the dead out of grief. And this is how it went. So maybe the idea that this drug would be something close to a modern iteration of that. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm just obsessed with the Fox sisters. Like I love the, 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 the kind of historical kind of the, the rooting of spiritualism within America and the, the kind of 
was it pre like pope like present post civil war era that like all of a sudden our our nation had like wholesale death like just there was just you know up to that point prior to the civil war you were promised the good death and now that was gone because you know uh, family members husbands sons they were all dying miles and miles away from home so spiritualism comes around and says hey here like we can communicate with your lost ones um like we can reach over to the other side and i know like you like just being fascinated with that idea and and wanting to kind of root it in a contemporary setting uh but but in that that kind of i don't know like i i love procedural horror as well like flatliners or you know like where there's like there's like a process or a science to it all yeah. and i think i think séances and spiritualism kind of offer they offer that in a in a very kind of like simplistic and yet like rooted in an emotion of like like there's there's always that desire to like connect to someone who has passed on um and maybe the people who are overseeing it are exploiting that maybe not but like it's it is i don't know like i just i just love that idea and too and i mean that leads into our topic which is grief horror you know people are willing to overlook a lot of things you know with the desperation of grief and if it means the chance to get in touch with someone who's passed yeah yeah it's i mean it's it's interesting because i don't know i mean if if someone were to come to me and say hey we have the capacity to reach out and touch you know like reach out and communicate with someone from my life from the someone that i've lost I, you know there there would be that moment of like i i miss i miss my grandfather i miss my my you know, like the people you know the people who are no longer here and uh i would be hard pressed to say no if mm -hmm. it was presented in that way that felt like this is this is true this is grounded in in fact so yeah i i i couldn't i would not turn it down um yeah yeah that would be i mean that'd be tough what do you think about grief works well within the horror genre you know it's it's funny because i i feel like there's there's always been this notion of horror being a roller coaster that there's there's a certain kind of like the the catharsis for the reader the audience member is that you're exorcising personal like that that maybe you're tapping into that that kind of like death phenomenon like you're mm -hmm. you're so you're so close to experiencing something that it's it's safe it's contained you're you're experiencing the the, the death impulse without actually dying or being being within within the realm of <laughs> dying um it's a very succinct way of saying something and i'm totally mealy mouthing it but i do think that like for grief horror is i mean i i believe that like you know there's something to be said about characters that that kind of mirror our own sense of loss or our own sense of um God, I, I want to say negative space. Like, I mean, I 
I myself feel like I can only, I, I'm just thinking of like all the people that I've lost in my life and still feeling haunted by them. And, and I think with ghost eaters, there was this whole notion of like, well, what, like really asking the question of like, what is it to feel haunted by someone who is no longer in your life? Um, and I think, you know, we speak specifically of like haunted houses being, you know, you know, when something is haunted, it's usually because a certain trauma happened within those environments, those locations, those, that, that physical geography that roots the ghost or the spirit to that location. And to me, like, when you think about losing someone being like, like, we're, I don't know, like, I, I, I just think that it's, there's something to be said about wanting to kind of either re-experience or have the catharsis of tapping into that grief impulse or that, that, that feeling of loss. And I think horror, horror just does that. Like, I think ghost stories do that. Like, it, you know, whether it's very specific to grief or not, like there's like in its very DNA, a ghost story is about someone no longer on this plane being on the other. And whether that's in a haunted house or a haunted shoe or a doll, I mean, like who knows, but like there is, there is something to be said about having the story itself or the genre itself of bridging the gap between um, what is, what is no longer in this world and maybe just perhaps the possibility of kind of reaching out and connecting with that those people that we've lost i think so true i think it is just as a genre perfectly set up to answer those questions and play with that idea those what ifs yeah it's funny because i think in film like i i, I think there's this kind of basic construct when it when it and it's usually in the first five minutes of a film uh imagine our protagonist loses someone dear near and dear to them they lose a child they lose a loved one their 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 significant other and then and then they are kind of posed with this this kind of existential threat that that you know whether it's a babadook or a you know a a ghost of some sort um it they have to kind of like overcome their sense of loss their their sense of grief and it's only through this this monstrosity or this this entity that they're able to kind of let go of the person, the the the, the kind of special whoever the, that is that they've lost, and by the end of the film, they tend to be, I you know I air quote this, but they they tend to be healed. Like there's something that they've like come out the other end, and it's like I'm able to let go of my wife, my husband, my my child, um, and all it took was a babadook. Which I, I agree, and it does lead well into the next section where we talk about films that, uh, you know, talk about grief and horror. And yeah, The Babadook is definitely one of them. Totally. I mean, oh, God, like, I I mean, The Babadook is so, I don't, I don't want to give spoilers, but like, yeah. what I love about The ba- the Babadook is that it's so, it almost like the, the, the healing kind of creates its own new family like there's a new kind of dynamic at the end of that film that usually the the hero or heroine like kind of 
washes mm-hmm. their hand of the experience and they're like, yay, I'm a, I'm a better person now. Um, where the Duke, it almost kind of folds in on itself and is like, well, we can be a family too. We can, we've created this new quasi supernatural nuclear dynamic. And it's, uh, I find that really touching in its own way. I find the ending of Duke touching is what I'm saying. <laughs> Yes, I love the ending. I mean, the idea that this is something that we're always going to live with, it might just be smaller and more manageable, but it's always going to be there. Totally, totally. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like I have a little Babadook in my basement, um, but only a little one. I would say like recently I've seen a, a big trend in kind of this like grief as haunted house or trauma like i've saw that in uh netflix's his house i don't know if you saw that yes god i love that i think that was did that come out last year 2021 it certainly was a pandemic movie i know that much and it it felt like i oh man i love that film and i loved you know while i was writing ghost eaters like just the ability to kind of imbibe these books or these films that really kind of focus on haunted environments. And I just love the idea that with his house, like it, it, it took the notion of a haunted space and, you know, it, I, I wouldn't say it reinvented it, but it definitely played with the, the trope and like kind of pushed the geography around in such a way that it, it, it felt fresh and new and uh, definitely one of my favorite films of, of whatever era, <laughs> whatever year or time it came out. I, I think it's one we're going to look back on in this like 2020s. And I would like to think that it's going to, it's going to be a standout when people look at this decade. Oh, it totally holds up. That one's going to, that's going to last forever. I mean, the opening of Midsummer too. I mean, we're dealing with Danny's grief for that, <laughs> that movie. Oh Lord. I, you know, did you, what did you, I mean, what did you think of Midsummer? Did you, did you like it? I had kind of complicated feelings about it, but I mean, I was so tense and on the edge of my seat. Like I was mesmerized. It's, it's so funny because I, I feel like when I think of Midsummer, I can't, I can't cleave it from uh, Hereditary. Mm-hmm. And I think like the, the, the kind of one, two punch of those two films, I like, I think from what I've experienced of Ari Aster and his, his films, which I love, which I, I like the watching hereditary, I felt like was such a traumatic experience. Like I, I honestly, I do not feel like I have been that exhausted emotionally by a film in quite some time. And I, and I think preparing for midsummer, it, I, I braced myself for that. In in the opening, I feel like it it's all there, and it's almost this kind of like ski slalom of trauma, grief, that kind of launches you into this beautiful, colorful palette. That, in a weird way, is the more it's like extremely cathartic. Um, I I think I saw Midsummer as as something of not a romantic comedy, but, 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 but a kind of comedy of errors (laughs) that like, it felt like cathartic in a way, liberating in a way that hereditary wasn't hereditary was suffocating to me. I didn't breathe 
through the whole time of watching Hereditary. But Midsummer, it's just like, let it go. Let it, I mean, like the whole thing, like at the end, it's just like, it, like that's there for the audience. It's just like, let it out, let it out. Like, let the grief go. Like, let, let the relationship go. And it's, it's, I, I don't know. Like I, I kind of followed suit and, and, and the film kind of let me become, what was it? The Mayfair queen. <laughs> like, like I felt like I was like the spring princess by the end of the movie, because I had, I, we survived it. We made it. We're, we're, we're on the other end and like, we might not last much longer, but at least for now we get to wear the garland and uh, not the bear costume. Yes, that movie, I think, had a lot, I think, with catharsis. I think also the scene that I feel like is so powerful is the women crying with her and, you know, like hyperventilating with her and just, you know, this whole movie, she's just dying to be seen and acknowledged with her grief. And she's just being brushed off by Christian the whole time. And yeah, just that first time that someone sits with her and sits with her in her devastation. It's like, yeah. Do you remember what the did you watch it at home did you watch it in a theater like in the theater what was the experience were you around other people like do you do you remember the experience of watching that that crying breathing scene i mean i remember it was just silent yeah (laughs) i i was in scotland i it, it was just so weird it was such a strange experience like i was in scotland and i and i was it was like a it was almost a matinee and so like there were, there were, there was a handful of us watching it and we get to that moment and we've gotten through everything else. Like we've, we've endured and survived everything up until that moment. And like, and this is going to sound negative, but it, it honestly isn't like, I'm being very sincere about this, but like we all started, like the audience kind of collectively had this like moment of laughter where it was just like, Oh my God. Like it, it was, the release of the moment was like, what? Like, I think it was the kind of the same thing of like, what the heck is going on here? But it was just like the, the sheer audacity of it. Like we just like, were like, this is, this is insane. And uh, it, it was so, I don't know, like it just felt so freeing in a way mm-hmm. um, where like, I still like when I think of hereditary now, like I like I still shackle up because I don't think I've exhaled the air I breathed during the watching of hereditary. Um, but yeah, I I feel like with Midsummer, it was just like, let it go. Let it go. I love hereditary, though. <laughs> I mean, hereditary is great. It's great. But it's unforgiving. It is it unrelenting. Is. I watched it with my husband who hates horror movies. Um, and I think in kind of and like a hand wavy. Well, I didn't know it was going to be that bad. Like it was a first time watch for me too. <laughs> oh but my like, God. I don't think he considers himself someone that gets like scared at movies. And he was terrified. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's just no two ways about it. Like that is, you know, I'm going to close my eyes and you're going to ask me like, what is the best movie of the last 20 years? And it's going to be hereditary hands down for me. And uh, it's because it's, it's, I think the shape of it, the architecture of it, like the, just the, the design of it, it's just, there's no, 
I don't know. Like I just, I, the, I, it just felt like such a, the complexity of it was so confounding and uh, I loved it. Um, but it, yeah, it's about trauma. It's about grief. And it, you know, it, it won't let me go. It won't let me go. Let, am I saying this right? It won't let me let go of my grief. <laughs> yeah. That one is not one for uh, catharsis. No, no, no. Go for Midsummer. Midsummer, you get the catharsis. I think. Hereditary, you, the fire. you hold on to it. And see, my last pick on here I have is Lake Mungo. So good. So good. How did you find it? I had heard uh, Paul Tremblay talking about it because I know that was a big influence for him for uh, the disappearance at Devil's Rock. And that was the first time I had ever heard anyone talk about it and i remember a few years ago it like finally came on like amazon prime or shutter and i was like now i'm gonna see it (laughs) and i sat there like on my couch just tears streaming down my face you know (laughs) how about you i I mean i think it was one of these weird for a while there there were these this series called like eight films to die for or like the, I think it was like After Dark or something like that. Um, it, it's been a while. But uh, it, it was basically kind of like a, a gathering of either direct-to-DVD films or films that just hadn't gotten theatrical releases. And, and Lake Mungo was one of them. And, and I, it's, it's, I think it's a little uh, unfortunate because, you know, I think a lot of the films in those series weren't necessarily of the caliber of Lake Mungo. So I, I came in with very, very low expectations, but then was just utterly blown away by it. Um, and I mean, it, you know, it's so deceptive because it's like, because it's a found footage film, you're, you're expecting this Blair Witch rehash. And it's just not, it's just, it is this, this, mournful tone poem uh that is i i just i just find it unlike any other other found footage film any horror film really like you know it's it's funny you, you mentioned the the paul tremblay comparison and the disappearance at and at devil's rock because which makes me think of um uh peter weir's film uh why am I blanking suddenly on Peter Weir's amazing film? The, the one that's about the the disappearance of the the students. I'm not going to pull it out, but um, the there's this great, amazing Peter Weir film that someone is going to have to remind me of, you know, and I'm going to remember as soon as this, this is over uh, and I'm going to be totally embarrassed, but uh, yeah, there's, there's so many of these, there's so few, of these pivotal films where it's like it, it focuses on the notion of loss. Um, but it feels, I don't know. It feels very palpable. Like, like, like Mungo feels like you're, you're actually talking to real people and you're watching real people yeah. kind of talk about their, their loss. And whenever those parents are being interviewed, Oh my God, it's just, it's just heartbreaking totally heartbreaking and i mean yeah that whole movie is and i mean they also you know try to reach out and just all their attempts to try to connect with their daughter and and find out what happened is just just rips my heart out yeah and 
you know, it's funny because I, I, I feel like I've watched that movie two or three times and it's always kind of like, there's this, this kind of analytical eye towards like, well, what makes this film so potent? Like what makes it work? And, uh, in that film more than a lot, I feel is very confounding because it's not, there are very few scares in it. There's very few kind of like jump out kind of boogity boo moments. And yet the ones that are there, they're, they're really grounded in this, <laughs> this pathos, this emotion that it's like, like, what is, what is the feeling that goes beyond scare? That's like, I'm I'm experiencing a supernatural event. I'm seeing a ghost or I'm seeing something and it's not scary, but it's it's something other and it's like I don't I don't know like it's 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 that weird like the the ability to kind of sh it, it, like it almost kind of opens up the world in such a way that 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 a lot of ghost movies don't because it's like I don't know. I, I guess I'm trying to say like this movie makes me believe in ghosts in a way that a lot of haunted house movies don't make me feel like don't believe in ghosts. Like I watch Lake Mungo and I say, oh, my God, that moment where you see something and you're like that that feels real. And I, mm -hmm. I'm watching it. I know it's a movie, but I feel like I believe in the supernatural now. I mean, it, it does feel real, I think. You know, I think with the found footage style, it doesn't have the polish of like a scripted character <laughs> style of movie um, Yeah, where everyone just feels real. And the way it's done, it just really feels like a documentary. Like you forget you're watching a like found footage totally. movie. And uh, I think like Paul Tremblay said that they used like the time accurate recording equipment of the time so it's like very <laughs> true to that time yeah it's so funny paul paul tremblay i feel like i've noticed paul tremblay like go on record like on on several occasions like he will go to bat for that that film um so i think uh lake mungo owes a little bit of box office to tremblay for uh <laughs> bringing bringing the audience to that one i think so i'm sure the people at shutter were like i mean i guess he keeps talking about it we'll, we'll really try to get get the rights to it i don't know how streaming works i don't know if that's like someone was... in streaming central someone in streaming central is like we, we've noticed a sudden uptick in uh lake mungo views uh what's paul tremblay doing right now yep he, he tweeted about it again uh well <laughs> he gets his five cents per click i guess <laughs> he's an affiliate with shutter he gets a little <laughs> oh my god he should be you know we should all invest in shutter this episode is brought to you by fangoria the world's best horror and cult film magazine since 1979 listeners can use code books in the freezer to get 20 percent off their order that includes of course merchandise and first time subscriptions and single issues of the magazine not only are there tons of articles and interviews about upcoming horror movies there's a regular segment by stephen graham jones all about slashers called slasher nation so you're going to want a copy so again that is code books in the freezer and thank you fangoria for supporting the show 
are we ready to talk about some books? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So my first book is This Thing Between Us by Gus Moreno. This came out, I want to say, last year, but it's about a man, Thiago, and his wife, Vera, who live in a refurbished condo in Chicago. She wants to buy Itza, who's kind of this, the latest and greatest smart speaker. But weird things start happening. Like there's like cold spots, like weird packages end up at the door. There's like scratching in the walls. Um, then Vera is killed. Obviously, Tiago is devastated. Unfortunately, he has to dodge pundits and reporters that want to use her death for a political gain. Even in his grief, he can't just grieve his wife like everyone wants to like take her story as well so he decides to get away from chicago and go to a secluded cabin in colorado but he just can't he can't get away from it not the grief not the pain not the terror i was thumbing through this and i skimmed through the first two chapters of this because it opens up at vera's funeral and i was like crying just skimming through those first two chapters because it is written in this like second person where he's talking to vera and he's like you know here i am at your funeral and like all these people are saying these things about you and like they don't know you like i know you and like this is what it's like to be like the widower at your wife's funeral and like i wish you were here so we could talk about this experience and like how wild it is um oh my gosh like i was just like (laughs) it's a little more emotional than that he says uh These feelings weren't new to the world, but that didn't stop it from feeling like they were. The world was pressed against my nose, too close to see. I had no story to follow. My favorite character was gone. And it starts out as kind of the elements of a haunted house story. And I think like the Itza is not the driving factor of the story. I think the way it's marketed kind of leads you to believe that that's going to be like, this was the thing. This was the, the mastermind. But it is bigger than that so it's a haunted house story that eventually becomes a cosmic horror story i really liked it absolutely emotionally devastated me rating wise on our scariness rating scale temperature wise i would say it's fridge the first half is pretty emotional the second half i think really starts to develop the lore and lean a little more into the horror um and there's some gnarly scenes including animal death people want to know so there is there is animal death in it that is this thing between us by gus moreno wow my first choice is remains by andrew call and gosh when did this book come out i think this book came out in 2019 um andrew is i think andrew lives in australia i'm not sure (laughs) um this is an amazing book. It is, uh, you know, I, I personally was not prepared for this book to be as, as unrelenting as it was. Um, but let's let's see if I can. Um, I'm going to do a terrible of it. Um, basically, about a, a a mother named Lucy, um, and uh, her son, Alex, has been brutally murdered um i mean it's 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 terrifying it's it it is it is a very painful uh, read um but then lucy has a a kind of nervous breakdown after after what happens and um she is institutionalized for a bit 
Um, and then uh, she's ultimately released. Um, and then when she comes out, I, I think it's like like six months later, like half a year later, um, she she's following this kind of guiding force, this guiding presence um, to uh, an abandoned house, to the abandoned house where her, her son was murdered. Um, and it's there that uh, Lucy, in essence, um, experiences a, what, what I guess you could say is a <laughs> very supernatural, um, very terrifying, very uh, eerie uh, presence that may or may not be her son. Um, I found this book to be, you know, like there's, I think there's certain kind of grief horror books that, that basically kind of dare you, like they, it's basically like, you wanna feel grief, like you wanna feel the, 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 the feeling that this, this, char this character is having, this narrator is having. And I think Andrew did a really amazing job kind of like, I mean, it, it, it's like, it feels like I'm getting raked over emotional coals. Like I'm getting, it, like, it's like a cheese grater to the heart. And, you know, beyond the kind of fear of it, there is a there's a lot of pain and pathos to it, which I think kind of makes it all the more terrifying. Um, so I I believe uh, let me take a moment to kind of gauge the the kind of variations. There's room temperature, there's refrigerator, and there's freezer. Mm -hmm. And we're saying room temperature is like meh, refrigerator is like yeah. And then freezer is like, eh? It's not a quality rating, uh, but it's like a scariness, like, I guess, approachability. Like, the average person handle this? I don't know if the average person could handle this. This this feels like, like, it's a, it's, it's grueling. Like, it's, you know, and it's, it's not even the, the, the scare. This, it's a scary book, but I, I feel like it's a, an approachably scary book. It's really the, the, the level of, grief like i think you have to kind of go into it knowing that it's it's like meant to hurt you um so where I, like you might need to help me like where does that like is that a like emotionally i'm freezer <laughs> like i want to warn i want to warn people that it's like you have to be prepared to get hurt um the scary the scary stuff almost becomes kind of a relief in comparison to the the, the the kind of the, the 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 turgid painful kind of like emotional quality to this this heroine's uh sense of loss she feels it andrew really made this character feel it and therefore like you as the reader feel it and that's that's cruel <laughs> yeah i mean she's greater to the heart that is i'm like i I'm scared, but now I need to read this immediately. So maybe freezer. 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 Emotional freezer. <laughs> Scary emotional. refrigerator. Emotional freezer. <laughs> That's a good a good scale. It's an emotional freezer, so you open up the freezer and you find your your grief frozen into a block of ice. That sounds terrible. <laughs> but it, that's what I meant. It's like it's like your heart is is now in the ice tray after it's oh, been right. grated into these fine little flakes <laughs> oh that sounds painful now i must read this 
My next pick is The Third Hotel by Laura Vandenberg. This is a novella. This is about a widow who takes her late husband's place at a film festival in Havana. He was a horror film scholar. She's processing the complicated emotions after his loss. And while she's in Havana, she thinks that she sees him at the festival. And so she has to process that. She obviously goes to like chase him down, but he's elusive and keeps like cutting into things. So, and this story was fascinating. I think it's a little more reflective than scary. And I would say horror adjacent. So very room temperature here. Um, But with her husband being this like horror film scholar, she does talk about horror quite a bit. Um, Like she says, horror films had taught her that a person could will a thing into existence, but once it was outside their consciousness, the consciousness that had been busily inventing simultaneous possibilities became a force unto itself, ferocious and uncontrollable. What I like about it is she had a very complicated relationship with her husband. I would say it's not like this thing between us where it's like these people just had this very straightforward love for each other and now there's a loss. Like they had they were going through a place where their marriage was stilted and she was traveling a lot for work and kind of choosing to be away and now is having to deal with the emotions of that now that she's a widow and the book is a lot about like liminal spaces and I guess and she's in this liminal like I'm not married anymore but I wouldn't consider myself single (laughs) what is this new phase of life that I'm in. So it's a little more sad and reflective in that way. Uh, But there are horror elements and it does kind of delve into the like surreal metaphysical (laughs) later. So it's a little trippy of a book. And I would say it is not for everyone. I feel like when I read books, you know, being a a podcaster, I kind of have to think of like, not only my enjoyment, but like, other like how how is this gonna like come across to a lot of people so I would say this is probably not a book for everyone but it's one that very much worked for me I really loved this book uh so that is The Third Hotel by Laura Vandenberg um okay my next choice is Julia by Peter Straub 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 that sounds kind of right right yeah sure Peter Straub uh, Julia, um, it is, what is, what is Julia about? Um, uh, Julia is a woman in London who, uh, has kind of an overbearing husband, um, and she's left him because at the beginning of the book, their daughter dies, um, and it's, it's extreme. It's very traumatic. It's a it's a real rough rough one. Um, but she the their daughter dies. Uh, the relationship is just it's broken, um, and she leaves and kind of moves into a new house. She either rents it or buys it, but she's basically like she moves into a space to be by herself, um, and away from her husband, who is a real jerk. Um, and uh, it's while she's in this house that she, uh, you know, begins to suspect that she's um, not alone. And uh, at first she believes that maybe it is the ghost of her daughter who is coming back to uh, 
establish contact with her. Um, but it turns out that maybe that's not true. And I don't want to, I don't want to go too, too much further. Um, it is, it is a book that, I mean, this book came out in the seventies. I think it was one of Peter Straub's earlier books, like maybe a second or third book. Um, it was made into this pretty interesting movie called it's been called a lot of different things. I think when it was originally released, it was called Full Circle. But then I think upon like either a, a subsequent release or a VHS DVD release, they started calling it The Haunting of Julia. But it stars a post-Rosemary's Baby uh, Mia Farrow, who's amazing in it. Um, and I, I will cop to the, the, I, the, to the I'll confess that a, uh, I, I saw the movie first before reading the book. Um, so I, I have a weird kind of experience of having cast Mia Farrow in the the movie version in my head as I was reading the book, which is always kind of unfair to the books that you read after you've seen the movies. But um, I, I want to recommend this book. Uh, it is total room temperature. It is, it is a very sedate kind of uh story where like the 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 kind of supernatural elements the hauntings of it are kind of on the periphery of the book uh and the movie i guess you could say um where any 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 kind of terror or dread is felt by way of what's happening kind of on the outskirts of the story it's it's almost like you have to it's like which i honestly think are the best ghost stories out there where it's like you're you know imagine you are looking at something and then from the corner of your eye you see something and so when you stop and turn and see if you can see what it is it's gone and you're like oh i totally think i just saw a ghost or i saw something that that is what julia does where it's like it's it's not something you see head on like it's always the periphery it's always kind of on the outskirts of the narrative um, and I think that's a very specific style of ghost story that a lot of readers will probably find frustrating or a little confounding because it doesn't just doesn't give it to you. Um, but the the ending really packs a wallop in my mind. And I'm going to make a even worse confession and admit, I think I might like the ending of the movie better than the book. Um, but I, I, you know, it's so rare. Um, but I, I, and I, and I think that like the book and the movie are kind of baked together in my, my imagination, uh, for better or for worse. Uh, but I would, I would definitely say it is a gauzy, light, kind of ethereal haunting story where you're, you're basically just kind of experiencing this thing and it's like, ah. Oh, uh, <laughs> like this feels this feels very feeling like oh like something bad just happened like oh <laughs> it, like it, it 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 never bludgeons you over the head um so i would i would recommend the one two punch of reading the book first then watching the movie uh because the movie has probably one of the best endings of any spooky supernatural ghost movie i've ever seen um it the ending is 
almost far better than anything else in the movie, but you have to kind of watch the rest of the movie to get to the really good part. Um, but yeah, Julia by Peter Straub. Ooh, I will have to check that out. I know the movie was streaming on Shutter last year. I don't know if it's still there. Uh, but now I'm curious. I'm going to have to look and see. It's it's worth it. I mean, like, drink your coffee. Like, it's 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 like you, you, you kind of need to be awake for it. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's it's a movie that that like, you know, this is not a, a criticism, but it's like nothing happens. And then <laughs> like nothing happens and then everything happens. Like it's, it's like, it's the, it's kind of one of those movies like, Oh, okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just love, I love the ending. Just love the ending. And it's, yeah, I, I think like to kind of root it in our conversation about grief, grief makes us do stupid things sometimes. And, mm-hmm. and I think that like, because our, defenses are down and our hearts are down uh we make choices that we either should not make or would not make if we were any other kind of sound body and mind and um the 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 grief impulse kind of makes us more daring or makes us more cavalier and uh julia i think is a a really interesting example of uh, a woman following her grief to places that I, as the reader, or me as the audience, are saying, "Don't, don't do that. Don't go there. That's the wrong. Like, don't go in that house. Damn it." <laughs> uh, my final pick is *The Good House* by Tananarive Do. And the I was trying to find a way to like explain this, and then I'm like, you know what? The Goodread synopsis is like one sentence, and it just seems to like kind of just nail it. Uh, so working to rebuild her law practice after her son dies by suicide, Angela Toussaint's journey to the family home where the suicide of her son took place, hoping for answers, discovers an invisible evil force that is driving locals to acts of violence. This was very good. I really enjoy Tanana Do. Like, I've pretty much enjoyed everything I've read by her. And yeah, this is about a woman kind of going back to her her family's house. Like, this house has been in her family for several generations in this town in Washington and um, in the beginning of the book we do know that her son died by suicide in the house and it's like she's now finally ready to go back to the house and like live in the town and spend time there and kind of deal with things but then as the story is going on you find out that things might not have been as straightforward as they seem and there might be some things that were put in place several generations ago and there's a a sense of like generational trauma and racism and a lot of things that are all contributing factors to this and I personally struggle with like really long books this book is over 500 pages it's like almost 600 pages and I flew through it like with the audiobook like I could not put this book down um And I think it's just like also just a very good haunted house story um, for people that like haunted house stories like me. Um, And I thought not only that, it has like a very good lore and reason for the haunting. Like it is established, like why this is happening here is like where it happened. And now we are seeing the consequences of this thing. 
some fat. I would say it's fridge. There's some pretty scary scenes, uh, but I'd say mostly approachable. So that is The Good House by Tanana Reeve Do. Nice, nice. Okay, my last recommendation is uh, Come With Me uh, by Ronald Malfi. And oh man, this is this is a tough one because I feel like I wanna I wanna I wanna do it justice, and there's no way I'm gonna be able to do it justice. Uh, it's there's a there's a man, a husband by the name of Aaron, uh, and his wife is she dies, and it, and it's in a like real horrible tragic way um i don't know if i i want to give away why i mean i mean the book is very open about how she dies but like i feel like it's it's not a spoiler but i, I don't want to spoil it um she's killed and you know suddenly aaron starts to kind of go through like in in the kind of grieving process and trying to kind of you know not 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 pick up but like just kind of get get life back in order uh he starts to go through her stuff and clean up her her personal belongings and she's a journalist and she kind of she in essence kind of uncovers all of these different secrets um and things that she had been working on before she was killed um that that kind of lead him to to like he he kind of goes on this this kind of mournful walkabout to try to figure out uh, the things that she was doing that that like he had absolutely no idea about and it was like it, maybe it was for a story maybe it was a, it was it, some underlying mystery is happening that 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 he that she kept completely to herself he was completely unaware of it and now that she's gone and he has nothing but all of this information he he decides to try to find out what she was working on. Because um, at first he thinks maybe she was having an affair, but that's not, you know, that's not the case. Um, but yeah, it it's basically he picks up where she left off um, in order to find out what what she was working on, uh, what what her search was. Um, that is a terrible description for what is an like ultimately an amazing book. Um, it's so funny because like I read it maybe a year, almost maybe even like two years after it came out. Like I think it came out in oh no, it came out in 2021. So like I I read it, I read it after like there's this huge kind of initial kind of like oh my god, you got to read this book. This book is amazing. And I was like okay, okay, I'll read it. I'll read it. But I wait, I like, I think I waited too long because the hype cycle had kind of come and gone. So <laughs> it's not that I came to it begrudgingly, but I came to it like, like, okay, everybody else loves this book. So let's see what, what all this hype is about. And then I read it and I was like, oh my God, the hype is real. The hype is, this is like, this is legit. And I felt like I'm ready to eat crow. Like I'm ready to like, like it like cop to my own naivete and just say Ronald Malfi is amazing. And like, I want to grow up to be Ronald Malfi because this book, it, it's scary. And I'm going to give it a fridge because 
there are there are, you know there are kind of terrifying kind of freezery moments but like the tear never eclipses the emotional pathos which i think really kind of drives the piece home and it's not a criticism but i got so it was like i almost got so grumpy the more supernatural the book became like i almost like there is a i'm not going to encroach upon spoiler territory but like the thing that is guiding him along the 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 kind of mystery uh like i didn't want the mystery anymore i just wanted i just wanted to watch this man kind of go through the 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 process of uh, understanding his grief and like how to get through it so that when you reach the end um you know if you haven't read it this is where you want to pause this podcast and i'm just going to say the ending for this book blew my mind in such a way that was just like I, I i you know it's so rare that a book like you 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 look for these books you're you're hunting for these books like you know we've been reading for however many years decades at this point but like for a book now in this day and age at our age my age um to like just blow my mind and just like like just drop the jaw like this come with me did that and i i'm i'm going to just bow down at the altar of malfi from here on because he did such an amazing job that was also a book that blew me away when i read it i think it was my one of my favorite books of was it 2020 2021 again i don't know time what is time but the year that it came out it was one of my favorite books i cried several times <laughs> reading it and I think just the honest raw emotions that are felt and also like this thing between us it's kind of written in this like second person where he's like talking to his dead wife and kind of like rationalizing and you know sometimes being like this is how I'm feeling right now like I'm, I'm angry at you for this and like I miss you this and it's just all these emotions just being like thrown out there oh, it's so amazing um yeah i i never want them to make a movie of it tv series of it like i don't want them to i i, I just want it to like remain this totem because it's so i don't know it is a near perfect book <laughs> um definitely one of the best pandemic books whatever year that was that it came out i agree this episode is brought to you by Libro FM. Libro FM is the first and only company which lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a different story, one that supports community. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best. Booksellers. I mean, and us. We also have a playlist on there full of books that have been recommended on this podcast. 
Books in the Freezer special offer, you get two audiobooks for the price of one, just $14.99, with your first month of membership using code FREEZERBOOK. This offer is valid for new members in Canada and the United States. Thank you, Libro FM, for supporting the show. Well, should we pivot to some chilling obsessions? Yeah. Can can you explain to me what, what our chilling obsessions are? Like, is it that uh, just any anything that I'm excited about or feeling giddy about in horror? Yeah, like anything you've been enjoying, podcast, book, movie, show, like anything recently, you're like, you know what? This has been pretty good and it's been making me happy. <laughs> you know, maybe it's it's just for the fact that we've been talking so much about grief horror but you know i i should name check uh gabino iglesias's most recent novel the devil takes you home which is in of itself a grief grief horror you know it's it's so many different things barrio noir mystery Mm -hmm. thriller horror but like it's grounded in grief uh that that to me um yeah i i i felt like that was such a wonderful book definitely going to be one of the highlights of the year um i mean i just saw nope nope was amazing did you see nope not yet um my husband's going out of town next week though so i have it like all planned out we're like i'm gonna be like downstairs on the big tv and like rent it and just like the kids are in bed i'm just gonna like fully enjoy myself like plan for it (laughs) but you liked it it was good i did i i mean i yeah, it, it is it is a great movie. I you know, it's like one of the things that makes it so singular is that it's not it's not what you think it is. It's not what you expect it to be. And I think I should shut up about it now because I think it should be your experience. And so many like it's so rare to have a singular experience like Nope. And uh I think Jordan Peele is doing an, an exceptional job of making singular cinematic experiences like everything feels new and novel and fresh and nope like everybody wants to come into nope thinking they know what nope is and it's not so yeah i know i think that means you have to see it twice not to bring any preconceived notions into my viewing what are your obsessions do you have any Ooh, i recently watched uh Orphan First Kill on Paramount Plus. And I didn't know what to expect. I was not a big fan of Orphan, the first one. I have tried to get through it multiple times. I don't know. I think evil kid horror is not my jam. But this one was so fun, I think, in a way that the first one wasn't. This one just kind of leaned into its like craziness and bonkers energy that it has throughout. And Julia Stiles, I don't know where she's been, but we need to put her in more horror movies. Like she was great in this. Totally. Did you watch this? I did. Yeah. I, liked it. I mean, like, I mean, it's so funny when the bar is so low and you're pleasantly surprised. Like yeah. it just, like, it, it totally, it did the thing that like, you know, you're not paying attention to the movie and then all of a sudden it sucker punches you and it's like yeah yeah i know like okay here we go again and then it's like wait a minute like the people behind this actually they know what they're doing and they just totally take you for a ride it really was because i mean it's a prequel so you're going into it like yeah 
I know her whole deal is that, you know, she is, I mean, spoil, not going to spoil the first one, but there is like something going on with this, you know, girl who's an orphan. And I, you know, in the uh, first one, we see that like, she's done this before. So this is the, she's done this before <laughs> part of it. So you kind of go into it like, okay, but I know how the story's going to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it, it was a total lark. I loved it. I mean, like, it's it's so funny, like, who would have thought we would be talking about the sequel to Orphan, you know? And, and like, I think it's just a testament to, like, like there's there's got to be something said about a movie that earns earns its audience. And that movie works hard to not only earn back, earn back the... the, the <laughs> whoever the orphan fans are, but the orphan non-fans, like the the detractors of orphan. Like, I think I've heard more people be like, I hated orphan, but I love orphan first kill. And that's, that's saying something. That's a testament to like the success of a, a, a good, good movie. I saw someone post, yeah, the, just the Rotten Tomatoes score for critics and audience is much higher than it is for orphan. And he was just like, how often does this happen? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I I'm don't gonna... know. It's just fun. <laughs> I can't, in clear conscience, defend the first orphan, but I will say it was, it was at least, it was, it was, it was kind of doing that thing where it's like we're taking ourselves seriously. Maybe they <laughs> took themselves a little too seriously, but they like they really wanted to go for it. Like they wanted to do that. Like, like I think the ring is a, a like a an example of like a movie a horror movie that like adults can go to and not feel guilty for like seeing a horror movie like it feels it's like mature horror mm-hmm. um i think orphan was trying to be mature <laughs> and 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 maybe missed missed the mark of what it could have been and i think orphan first kill does a good job of like being like you know what Let's just have fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, we know what we're doing here. I mean, and Orphan 1 does have its fans. I asked on Twitter, I'm like, I feel like everyone has a comfort, like, Dark Castle movie from the 2000s. And a lot of people came out and said, it's Orphan. And, like, I was expecting a lot more, like, 13 Ghosts, House on Haunted Hill. <laughs> Maybe Ghost Ship. Maybe Gothica. But no, no. It's gotta be. Uh... I write hard for House of Wax. Oh, wow. <laughs> Gotta go Paris. (laughs) I just felt like that was also just like a fun one that I, I went into it thinking like I went into it, like rolling my eyes, like, Oh yeah. Like Paris Hilton. And I was like, that was fun. That was like ridiculously fun. (laughs) Totally. Totally. (laughs) All right. Well, our last tradition on this podcast is to ask guests for a final girl song add to their playlist so what is your pick oh man i don't know if i'm bending the rules here because by sheer definition final girl is the the one who survives and i i think the lyrics of this song su- suggest that this final girl is no longer with us but i i'm one of those kind of uh sad white boys who likes to listen to sad indie rock music 
Um, and there's a band called Neutral Milk Hotel. And they have a song called Oh Comely uh, off of their album In the Aeroplane Over the Sea. And Oh Comely is a seven-minute, like, magnum opus, like, acoustic, like, just opera uh, of maybe it's about Anne Frank, maybe it's not Anne Frank, maybe it's maybe it's someone else or just some uh, some girl in world war ii something like but there's there's something to be said about the kind of transcendent quality of this this song and 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 when i think of surviving i think of like transcending one's own kind of trauma or whatever whatever the kind of traumatic event is and this song I think one interpretation of this song, because it is, again, a very, the lyrics are a bit opaque, but like, I, I feel like there's, there's something to be said about surviving something that maybe we, we go on to some greater place or we survive by, by kind of like elevation. Um, and, and this song kind of really brings out a certain kind of transcendent notion of, surviving through supernatural means or or something more and maybe it's spiritual i don't know but when i listen to this song it 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 elevates me um and i and i feel like there is a certain kind of i'm going to just keep saying the same word over and over again but it's it feels transcendent like it feels like uh, a spiritual uh elevation um so that that to me speaks to the the kind of final girlness um i probably am going to get points taken off my street cred but it was it was the first thing that kind of came to my mind um and of course as soon as this conversation's over like i'm going to think of like five other songs i could have been like oh oh it could have been that one it could have been that one um but yeah, I closed my eyes and I was like, oh, calmly, like Neutral Milk Hotel. <laughs> I love that. I'll have to check that out. Um, I will admit my familiarity with Neutral Milk Hotel ends at uh, in the airplane over the sea. I, yeah, I, I love them. I love them. Maybe they're not for everybody. They're definitely for a lot of like uh, hipsters in Brooklyn. Um, but uh, we uh, like... This is an amazing, it's an amazing band, an amazing album. Like, you know, I guess it's the kind of, you know, I'm getting eye rolly towards myself here and I'm being self-critical, but, uh, you know, for all you J.D. Salinger, you know, Holden Caulfield types out there who like to listen to <laughs> moody indie rock, like Oh Comely by Neutral Milk Hotel. I love moody indie rock, so I will be adding that to the playlist and I mean I have had people kind of go all kinds of different directions like when I had Ronald Melfi on the show he picked a song that was like a bit more nihilistic he's like no one survives this is just like (laughs) (laughs) no final girls no final anybody there's no rules yeah it's like Outback no rules just right has someone picked uh Katy Perry Roar they have not oh my Um, god I don't know like I think I'm trying to think of like what is the 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 lyrical equivalent to the end of the descent where you have 
which end? Oh, the UK ending. Like I want okay. to like I want to like go through hell and like crawl out the other end and feel like we're free. <laughs> but are we? Maybe not. You know, like I think surviving comes with a there's a toll. There's a there's a there's something there's a price to be paid and it might be your own. Maybe you're not the final girl in reality, but maybe you are in your mind. Thank you so much for <laughs> coming on the show it's been a pleasure talking to you man thank you so much thank you for putting up with me um we got a lot of books to read now we do so where can people find you online uh i'm a i'm on twitter and i'm on instagram and facebook uh clay mcleod um which is c-l-a-y-m-c-l-e-o-d clay mcleod um, but yeah, and I'm I'm pretty Googleable. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again, listeners. Be sure to check out Ghost Eaters when it drops. Please do. Thank you so much. Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod, on Instagram at Books in the Freezer, on TikTok at Books in the Freezer, and you can send us an email at booksinthefreezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at booksinthefreezer.com, where you'll find links to all of the books mentioned in this episode. Um, this episode was recorded, as you can imagine, before the unfortunate passing of Peter Straub. So if you were wondering why we didn't mention that he had passed, that is why. At the Books in the Freezer website, you will also find links to our affiliate links like Amazon, Fangoria, and Libro.fm, you know, Clicking on those and ultimately purchasing stuff does help the podcast out in a small way. And another way to do that is to become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash books in the freezer. There's a one, three and a $5 tier um, with different perks at each tier. I think at the $1 tier, you get episodes early. At the $3 tier, there's like a group chat and we do movie nights and $5 tier gets bonus episodes and gets to know who's going to be on the next episode, what it's about, um, so they can chime into that conversation if they want. So check that out if that sounds interesting to you. But of course, you do not have to spend any money to show your support for the show. Telling someone about it, posting about it on social media, online, writing things about it, all of those things are huge helps to the show. Um, I saw that it was recently featured in the latest edition of Remork Magazine. And let me tell you, that absolutely made my day. Uh, Things like that. Thank you so much to all of you. I feel like I really do have the best listeners in all the world. So thank you to all of you for being a part of this community. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y-G-A-G-N-O-N. And yes, that is the unpronounceable name that I married into. Um, or you can find me on Instagram at That's What She Read. And that is That's with two A's. So see you next time on Books in the Freezer. Books in the Freezer.